0: Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the got to get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland,
1: somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.
2: Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show and happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. President Biden had a busy one, hanging out at the beach, not getting asked again about Hunter Biden or the White House cocaine on CNN. And now he's shuffling around, and I do mean shuffling. With King Charles overseas. It's tough being president when you work normally 10 to 2. Now you got to fly overseas and actually shake some hands. It's better than what our Treasury Secretary is doing, which is bowing to the Chinese over and over and over again, which is something we don't do, Janet Yellen. We don't do. As Americans, we stand upright. We don't bow to China. No diplomats are supposed to do it either. Check your little protocol booklet. You embarrass yourself and the country. Meantime, the media continues their attacks on Casey DeSantis. Man, they are trying to demonize her, not to mention RFK Jr. Later, we will be joined by two health and wellness experts. (laughs) But we begin today with two guys who are not exactly that. <laughs> Stu Bergeer is host of Stu Does America on Blaze TV and David Marcus is a columnist and author. Welcome back, guys. I shouldn't impugn you, Stu. I've never seen you sitting here smoking a cigarette on the air like my friend Dave, which is why I took a shot at his non-role as a health and wellness expert.
3: I walk a lot, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Good.
2: Good. You know, I think we're going to talk to our health and wellness experts about how Even worse for you than smoking cigarettes is total social isolation. And Mm -hmm. while I've seen your tweets, Dave, and I feel like I know you well enough to know this is like sometimes something you complain about. You are beloved and you are all over the the Internet and Fox and so on. So I think hopefully you're making up for some of those cigarette deficiencies or dangers with your ubiquitous social presence. All right, guys. So uh can we just kick it off with Casey DeSantis because man, she is like Rawr. she gets the left to go, Rawr. they hate her in a special way. It's almost coming at her more viciously than we saw with Melania, who didn't really say that much. They just hated her because she was Trump's wife. Uh but Casey DeSantis hasn't said that much. She did appear in an ad, and maybe that's why they're really coming for her. Um I think we've got, do we have the ad with the Casey DeSantis ad? I thought we did. And yeah. All right. Here we are. Sot nine. We've been told that we must deny truth, back down, and look the other way. Enough is enough.
0: When you come after our kids, we fight back because there's nothing we won't do to protect our children. They're not yours. These are our kids. Our nation's children are all our children.
4: We will not allow
2: you to exploit their innocence to advance your agenda. We are no longer silent. We are united. And we have finally found our fighter.
5: Our kids we're gonna stand up for our kids he
2: do for America what he did for us it's a good ad it's it's one of the best ads we've seen from Team DeSantis and look, she puts herself out there so he, in in it comes but my my comment is just about this particular viciousness of the attacks against her and before I toss it to you, I'll just give you one example. this is from um is it MSNBC? yeah it's MSNBC. Uh, which had a panel discussion. David Jolly is the one commentator. He was a former Republican up until a few minutes ago. Uh, And Tara Setmeyer, watch.
6: For many, she's the brighter side to Florida's angry governor. For others, she's become America's Karen. And I think that's the ultimate disconnect here with a campaign that needs to embrace more constituencies to get to the White House. Look, she is a more effective messenger than Ron DeSantis. But if all she is doing is amplifying the wrong message, she's actually clarifying Ron DeSantis's Weaknesses, as I like to say, it doesn't matter if it's presented in heels or boots. The Desantis doctrines are losing one. We're going to learn that the more Casey Desantis gets out there.
1: (laughs) Tara,
5: um, I think David's beaten you um, in terms of taking my breath away during a segment. But real quickly, because I do want to move on to my Pence for a hot second. Uh, America's Karen, David Jolly. Well, I called her. I called
4: her this. uh, You know, Serena Waterford wannabe needs to cut it out. We see you. So. There's there's all kinds of names for her. She needs to stop trying to measure the great drapes in the White House and think that she's some kind of Jackie O reincarnate.
2: Okay, Serena Waterford, for those who aren't familiar with Handmaid's Tale, is the main lead character. She's married to the abusive husband and forcing the handmaid to bear the husband's fruit. And she's a crazy lunatic. So that's how they want to paint her. She's Serena Waterford. Um, She's America's Karen, as Jonathan Capehart, just laps it up, Stu, absolutely loves every moment of it.
5: Of course, of course. And it's just so shocking to watch this. I don't know. Maybe I'm in a, in a different world. I, I don't know. We're going to have a back and forth in the primary between Trump and DeSantis and all these other people. And that'll all be sorted out over time. But when, when you watch the mainstream media talk about this, they turn Casey DeSantis into this horrible figure. I, you know, I will say I, my wife watched this ad and my wife was literally audibly cheering it on as it was it was going now she she's not going to be she's not a super highly political person she just wants to defend our children and i think that is the 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 reaction you get from that from from a lot of people of course politics plays into this and everyone's going to and analyze this and i don't know if anyone on msnbc actually believes the things that they're even saying they're just going to try to trash whoever they think is going to beat joe biden whoever else is running on the left But like when you're talking about connecting with actual moms, when you're talking about connecting with actual voters in this country, this is the type of thing that is on their mind. They see this thing, these terrible images on their televisions every single night, and they want somebody who's going to stand up and at least tell them, hey, you're not nuts. You're not nuts for thinking that, you know, boys are boys and girls are girls. You're not nuts for thinking that people marching down the street saying we're coming for your children is a threatening moment. You're not nuts for thinking your kids should be allowed to go to school and hang out with with their friends instead of being locked up behind masks and Zoom calls. These are things that American voters relate to very closely, and they make Ron DeSantis out to be like he's the worst politician of all time. He went from winning by 0.4 points in his state to 20. Now, he might not be able to beat the former president of the United States. I mean, that's a very difficult task. But they make him out to be this this terrible politician who can't relate to anyone. Casey De- DeSantis, they're mocking her appearance on Twitter right now. I mean, they've gone nuts, and I don't think there's any path back for them.
2: What are they saying about her appearance on Twitter? There's nothing to mock. She's stunning. <laughs> She's
5: beautiful. The, the, uh, the, the, I mean, look, this is not my, my, my take, obviously, but they are the, 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 their trending right now is Eddie Munster. And there's a photo where they're putting... Eddie Munster's photo next to Casey DeSantis, because I guess she had some eyebrow. I don't know if it's doctored or what. They're trying to make her look like people are again. It, there's a there, there might be things to criticize about Casey Desantis. I don't know her that well, but I don't think her appearance is one of the things. But there was that's also there envy. was also
3: some consternation about the fact that she wore high heels on grass, which I I don't know if you know about <laughs> this too, or maybe I didn't know that that was something one was not supposed to do. But apparently, I don't think it's a faux
2: pas different. so much as just difficult. Just difficult. it's annoying. <laughs> you know, just keep mm-hmm. sinking into it.
5: I found um, it to be very nice when I wear high heels on grass. I think it's very very comfortable as long as you're not. Right, going we'll down get to that segment too. later. Know, I, I All right.
2: Know, but, We'll get to that segment later. Miss Netherlands, Uh, (laughs) stand by on that. But uh, I, what do you make of it, Dave? Because okay, so she's taking a political stance. She's a former news anchor, so she understands how to work the camera and how to sound on camera, and you can tell. But I think the reason they're reacting so angrily to her is they accurately perceive her as a threat.
3: Spot on. I mean, absolutely. There have not been a whole lot of bright spots for the DeSantis campaign. Uh, since he announced um, she's she is one of them Um, and there's a there's a there's a political history to this first ladies weren't terribly important until 1992 and Hillary Clinton and there was a lot of talk about wait a minute she's going to have a role nobody voted for her Michelle Obama was a little bit in this vein as well right where Obama was like we're a team the the Bushes weren't so much as, as you rightly point out like Melania wasn't but Bill Clinton and Barack Obama both became president of the United States with these very sort of strong female figures on their team. And I think that this can help DeSantis. And I think that's why you're seeing so much over the top fire at her, obviously, from the left, but even to some extent uh, from Trump supporters. So, yeah, she's she's clearly over the target and she's taking a lot of flack. Um, and, And she does so far seem to have the ability to handle it and to, to really help his campaign. I, I don't think we've seen it in, in the numbers yet, but I, I think she's clearly a, a, a big benefit to Ronda
2: Sanders. Well that's the thing. So people don't vote for a candidate because of his wife. They might not vote for him because of her potentially. Like in the Hillary wasn't exactly a draw for Republicans considering Bill Clinton, though he won. Um so she's not going to get him past his polling difficulties still, but she's she's more of a help than she is a hindrance. Uh, and that's why she must be destroyed. And this will just be the beginning. And she can't do anything right. You know that she had on that jacket that said something like, you know, where woke goes to die. And they were like, oh, she's at the target. She's the the Melania of Target or whatever they put it. And then she wears like the sweeping Jackie Kennedy esque, you know, dresses and some of these photo shoots with the capes and they're like, oh, she's a Jackie I want. Okay, so every woman can be both. You can wear the motorcycle jacket one day and you can wear the beautiful long dress with the cape the next. And if they were saying this sort of stuff about a lefty, these same people would be outraged at the rampant misogyny. But as always, it's totally fair game against a Republican wife.
5: Yes, of course. They can come with all the force needed. You can say anything you want about a Republican wife and it's it's disgusting. I think she is an asset. I think you know she's someone that can help. I mean, if there's been any criticism of 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 DeSantis that's been pretty consistent is that maybe he's not the most relatable guy uh, and that he doesn't come off as relatable, and she can help with that. I think you know, having a, a beautiful young family is something that most politicians really, really want. But to show how the the unfairness has never been more clear than it was with Melania Trump. You know, we can all talk about they love to make Michelle Obama into one of the five most beautiful women in the world when she was uh, serving as, uh, as in her role as a first lady where you have Melania Trump, who is an actual legitimate supermodel. Right. Like she's coming into this built for pictures, for photos, for being on camera and none of the major publications ever put her on the cover. There were there were never any fluff interviews about how she dressed or the decisions she's made about her style. She got none of that, despite the fact that she really wasn't involved politically. She wasn't out there promoting Donald Trump's policies, per se. She took a, a backseat role. She didn't really want to be out there as far as the politics of it. And yet the media completely Uh, besmirched her to every opportunity. Here's someone who legitimately came from the role of being a fashion icon. So uh, no matter what Casey DeSantis does, she's going to get a terrible treatment on on this. And so is every other Republican wife. You just think that they wouldn't be so obvious about it. They get into it so quickly with no hesitation and, you know, really no knowledge of who this person is. They just want to destroy her because that seems to be their narrative all the time.
2: These same people, I mean, truly are praising Jill Biden's dresses as like the next Vogue icon. And Mm. honestly, the ones that they promote her in, she looks like she's wearing my Nana's house coat. So just I mean, it's such an obvious (laughs) joke. With all due respect to Dr. Jill Biden, fashion is not at the top of the list of her accomplishments. I'm sure there are many others. She'd be glad to tell you they begin with getting her Ph.D. (laughs) But my point is they hold her up as a fashion icon. Michelle Obama as a fashion icon and Melania, who never made a misstep with her fashion, gets totally ignored. The same thing's about to happen to Casey DeSantis, even though Ron DeSantis is struggling in the polls. And that's exactly where they'd like to keep him, Dave. That's exactly because the left is convinced Trump should be the nominee. Trump is beatable as the nominee. And the left wants Donald Trump in that position much more than it wants Ron DeSantis. Now, having said all that, DeSantis um, is struggling in the polls. We've talked about it many times. I mean, he's getting down into like he's flirting with single digits now, which is definitely not the position you want to be in. But he's around 20 in most of the polls. And um he goes on Fox News this weekend and Maria Bartiromo, um she cross examined him at one point and then he talked a bit with Will Kane about why it seems like his message isn't totally connecting. Listen here, SOT 11. I'm curious
5: in the, the the analysis of Ron DeSantis of why not yet is connecting. Well, I think did you just see the news today about Uh, The record fundraising hall we've had, nobody's been able to match that in the history of modern presidential politics. So we've got a huge amount of support uh, to be able to take the case to the people. We really haven't started that yet. Uh, We're in the process of building out a great organization.
2: And then listen to this. Here's the next one uh, with Maria over the weekend.
4: You've done a great job pushing back against woke. We know that. But I'm wondering what's going on with your campaign. There was a lot of optimism about you running for president earlier in the year. But here's this weekend's headline from the Politico playbook. Failure to launch Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' campaign <laughs> to topple Donald Trump has stalled. We are way behind, <laughs> says a top DeSantis PAC official sounding the alarm. What happened? What <laughs> happened?
5: Maria these are narratives the media does not want me to be the nominee I think that's very very clear why because they know I'll beat Biden but even more importantly they know I will actually deliver on all these things we will stop the invasion at the border we'll take on the drug cartels we'll curtail the administrative state we'll get spending under control we'll do all the things that they don't want uh, to see done
2: David Marcus uh just a point of clarification there, that Politico article she was referencing was quoting his, one of his top pack guys who said, I'm going to be honest, he's struggling, he's way behind. Trump's the master debater. That's a point of vulnerability too." that. It wasn't Politico. It was DeSantis's own team saying those things. Go ahead.
1: Yeah.
3: I, I mean, listen, I, that's a hard question to answer about, you know, why aren't you doing better? I don't think anybody cares about the donor numbers. Um, and that's a very inside baseball thing that that really doesn't move the needle with voters. But one thing that DeSantis said that I thought was key is he said, we're building out a great team. OK, let's see it. Right. Because right now, most of the messaging of the DeSantis campaign that's getting out there and penetrating is either coming from super PACs or the the, the random anonymous Twitter rapid response team uh, that he has attacking like everybody who says anything slightly bad about DeSantis or the campaign. And that's really, really, really not working. I mean, if, if you put the campaign staff, if I ran into the campaign staff, the actual campaign staff, such as it exists, at 7-Eleven, I, I wouldn't know who they were. Um, so they need to get control of this thing because what they're doing right now, you know, picking fights with conservative influencers and sort of just going all over over, over the map the way that they're doing it, it's clearly not working. It's disjointed. Uh, and and he does have a good message when he gets to saying it. I thought those were both really good hits. But the campaign needs to take the lead. And I think it's time to, to turn off the overly online Twitter response team
2: because mm, it could be a matter of message discipline. I mean, I totally know what you're saying. There are I don't think it's necessarily his team, though. It might be his team you're referring to, but he's got some random people on Twitter who are diehard DeSantis fans who just pick the nastiest fights. Now that this is also true, let's—I mean, I lived through 2016 and Trump and Steve Bannon, so it's not not like this is unprecedented. No, but maybe they think they have to fight fire with fire.
3: Right? We know that about Trump. We don't know it about DeSantis. We don't know if people will give. DeSantis, the pass for vulgarity or crudeness or things like that, that they gave to Trump. So far, I, I don't think they are.
2: Mm. What do you make of it, Stu? Because that, that did dominate. There's a story over the weekend that just dominated Twitter. And I, we all know Twitter's not real life, but it was a little odd. Like his team's messaging on Twitter, they do th- seem to have very thin skin and, and be pushed off message very easily. You know, that instead of seeing their message pushed all weekend, I saw some fight they were having with Tim Poole. That's who I think Dave is mentioning when he when he suggests conservative commentator who they're fighting with over a nine second clip of Tim's of um, it was like one of, of one of the pride marches where people are saying we're coming for your children and they used it in a campaign ad, which is not unusual. And at the end of the ad, it said, you know, paid for by Ron DeSantis. Then Tim Poole started saying you didn't pay for it. That's that's a lie. I don't know exactly how this went down, but if that's what Tim Pool is complaining about, he's wrong because. The ad is, of course, suggesting this is an advertisement we paid for. We, the DeSantis team, paid somebody to put it together. We, the DeSantis team, paid somebody to put it on Twitter. We paid Twitter. You know, like, I don't think they're suggesting we pay for every single second we're using in the ad. Some of this will be, they'll argue, is fair use, though when it's for money, we'll we'll find out whether that holds. In any event, why pick a fight with Tim Pool? Why the hell not move right on and ignore it?
5: yeah i don't i don't know why he would do that i think these dumb battles that go back and forth at this point i totally agree with the with the the fighting on twitter and all that stuff i don't know what that gets people i don't like it you know we're in the primary timeline and the primary timeline is the dumbest timeline everyone gets incredibly angry and screams at everybody and we get nothing out of that uh, of course you know there are massive issues going on with the president of the united states lots of stuff to uh, criticize on his side that gets ignored when you're going back and forth with other conservatives about the differences that that might be minor in 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 detail. I mean, look, I think we can blow this up as too big here. The president of the United States is running again. This is very rare. Donald Trump is one of the probably the most famous person in the world, right? He's not going to be easy to beat in a primary. We're six months away from a vote. You shouldn't be panicking if you're a Ron DeSantis supporter, if you're in the Ron DeSantis campaign. But like, this is going to be hard. This is Trump's to lose. And it's been Trump's to lose from day one. He, you know, what is his his floor in these elections? 40%. Let's let's go back. Let's go back.
2: Let's go back, Stu, because we just looked at this Mm. on Friday. And if you look at uh, early this year, early 2023, shortly after the midterms, there was a two point difference between the two of them in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Two points, DeSantis and Trump. And that was when Ron DeSantis was coming off of his enormous and very impressive win down in Florida. And Trump was getting beaten up in the news for having picked or at least backed the the wrong candidates in those midterms who failed mightily in state after state. And Trump sort of had the stench of losing on him at that time. Forget the indictments. Those all helped him. Mm -hmm. And Ron had the glory of winning. But then time went on and the (laughs) indictments came down, which soared Trump's numbers. And Ron got farther and farther away from his big win in Florida and sort of, you know, left memory. And uh, now things have dramatically changed. So there is a question about whether he should have gotten in earlier and just sort of taken the wind off of those, you know, the sales he got from from winning and used that to buoy himself to a stronger position earlier.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of strategic questions. I I think suboptimal would be the uh, word I would use to uh, to describe the rollout so far for DeSantis. There's a world in which he. Does great and and starts beating Trump early. I mean, that could have happened. I just don't think. I think what we're talking about when DeSantis was very close, we it was vibes, right? Trump was in a in a rough spot. He'd come off of a bunch of endorsement losses, uh, you know. As you point out, DeSantis came off of of a big victory. It was a high point for him. And since that, since then, the news has changed. I don't think DeSantis's message has changed. I don't think Trump's message has changed. But Trump has been dominating the news. And he will continue to do that. I mean, if you think about think back to like, when is the best Trump you've ever seen on the campaign trail? If I had to argue for a particular month of time, I would argue the last month of the 2016 election where he came out of the Access Hollywood tape. He was in crisis and he just buckled down. He was on message every single day. He he nailed it and wound up winning that election. If that Donald Trump exists throughout this election, no one is going to beat him. Ron DeSantis has no chance to beat him. And I don't think I don't think Joe Biden does either. But that is not the Trump we see every single day. A lot of times he goes off message. He could, I think, lose this. But I don't think just Ron DeSantis out of pure will can overcome a guy in the Donald Trump position. He's at 40 percent, probably a minimum in most of these states, which gives you a very minimal chance to try to find a window to defeat a candidate, especially when there's 11, you know, uh, people in the race. So you have the debate opportunity. He has a chance to do this. But I think it's important to look at this and understand that it might not be that Ron DeSantis is a terrible candidate or there's something wrong with Casey DeSantis's looks if he loses this. It might just be that Donald Trump is a particularly uh, unique person who has a path to this that is almost difficult to deny.
2: Well, Dave, you tweeted out the other day an interesting thought quote, what I keep coming up against is that Trump can win the nomination without a single current DeSantis supporter. DeSantis needs half of Trump's. I don't see how he can pull that off. It's a good point. I mean, DeSantis needs to rest away loyal fans of Trump's. Trump's Trump doesn't need to rest a single fan away from DeSantis. DeSantis, of course, his other lane is to consolidate the anti-Trump vote. But even that is not looking like a sure thing right now.
3: Yeah, I I mean, that would be a disaster. I saw Alyssa Farah yesterday tweeted something about the only way that you beat Trump is you have to go after him. Yeah, you have to attack him and call him a liar. And then she cited as her examples of people who are doing a good job of this as Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson and (laughs) Will Hurd. And it's like, my God, combined, they're at three percent in the polls. Like, what are you talking about?
2: (laughs) Do what they're doing.
3: Yeah, yeah, do that. No, this is this is the, the problem in a nutshell, Right. This this is a very difficult needle to thread for DeSantis because he can't just come out and say Donald Trump was a bad president. He's on the record saying that Donald Trump was a good president. So what he's got to do, <clears throat> there's an analogy that I use. It's a biblical analogy. You'll forgive me for comparing Donald Trump to Moses. But, you know, <laughs> Moses brought the Israelites out of slavery with Pharaoh and brought them to Mount Sinai. But because he broke the tablets of the law, he wasn't allowed to go to the promised land. Right. Joshua had to take the Israelites to the promised land. DeSantis needs to be Joshua. And the answer isn't to take the Israelites back to Pharaoh, back, back to the to the rhino establishment or whatever you call it. The answer is to make the positive case to voters that I love what Trump wants America to be. I want America to be that, too. And I have the unique skill set to actually make it happen this time. Okay, I don't know wait, if it'll work. It's the it only it. path I see.
2: So but here's the thing. I think that's generally Desantis's thought, too. And if you look at how he's done the media over the past four months or so, he's been going to Trump friendly media. He has definitely 100 percent been trying to get in front of media that Trump supporters watch. And it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. You know, so he's got to come up with some sort of a different plan and he's not bashing Trump. He hasn't been uh, over the past month, more so. But in most of that time, he hasn't been bashing Trump. He's been saying nice things about Trump and trying to focus his criticism on the left. It hasn't worked. (laughs) The Trump fan base is they remain where they where they've always been. So it must be extremely frustrating for him, right, because it's like now he's going to try bashing Trump. I don't know that that moves the needle either. To Stu's point, how the hell are you going to get around the former president of the United States who's still got a second term available potentially to him?
5: Yeah, you know, Megan, I think the one thing that the DeSantis team should probably think about is I don't think DeSantis is going to win tons and tons of voters over by going to conservative shows and making his case. That will help him with donors. If he's doing very well there, it'll help at some level. But what would would excite, I think, the Republican base are the very viral moments that we've seen from DeSantis before when he's going after yes. reporters and people on the yes. other side. Put yourself in those the firing line a little bit. Take yes. the hits from people on CNN and then slam them and beat them. He's shown Fight. he's very, very good at this. Do that more and people will remember it.
2: That's a great point. We never see him doing that. We we used to see that all the time down at the Florida state level when he was fighting over covid. And it's one of the reasons he became a star. And now, mm-hmm. Dave, you know, he's on with all these conservative commentators, friendly commentators who barely challenge him. And it and the 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 viewers, the Republican base comes to those exchanges already hating the liberal media, right? It's like he goes in, at least with his base, with an advantage and he should be begging for them to take unfair shots at him because he's a brilliant and B, he actually is adept at fighting. But we have not seen that over the past several months.
3: Yeah. And and Stu's right. I mean, we absolutely should. You know, I I, last weekend I I covered the, the Moms for Liberty event where both Trump and DeSantis spoke. And you know, the, the people that I spoke to there, they want someone who's going to fight for them. And and that's what everybody thinks of, of Trump as. And DeSantis is so well positioned, specifically on those issues that, that moms are worried about, to go on MSNBC and, and have those fights. And even if he gets dinged every now and again, people are going to love that. And, and people will start to feel about DeSantis the way they feel about Trump, which is, He's fighting for me. He's he's my man in the arena. Uh, So I I think that's fantastic advice. I I think he should be all over the left. I think uh, kind of doing what RFK Jr. is doing on the right. You know, RFK Jr. will go onto more right leaning and conservative places. And it makes a splash and people read about it and they're interested in it. So, yeah, I, I think that's something that they could start doing very quickly that would be very, very effective.
2: RFK Jr., rfkj as i call him he just did a long interview with the new yorker with david remnick and it was unbelievable it's i love w- watching in this case reading these exchanges because the guy does not back down it's amazing to me the number of people who just try to dismiss him as a conspiracy theorist he's a conspiracy theorist, he's a conspiracy if you actually start to look at his so-called conspiracies he has evidence for all of them. Now, it's not that it's to say that I endorse them all or I come to the same conclusion on all of them, but they're trying to paint him out to be an Alex Jones and he is not an Alex Jones. And that's the latest attempt by The New Yorker. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Moms, moms for Liberty and, the, and Miss Netherlands. Who's a dude coming up? Dave and Stu, stand by.
0: Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind. Where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk. Where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner. Where your only commute is your walk to the beach. Where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.
2: Guys, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what's happening on the other side of the aisle. So let's talk Biden and RFKJ for a second. Joe Biden is an angry, angry man. So says Axios in its latest drop, um, which is entitled Biden's Private Fury. In public, President Biden likes to whisper to make a point. In private, he's prone to yelling, Get off my lawn! and more. Behind closed doors, Biden has such a quick trigger temper, reports Axios that some aides try to avoid meeting alone with him. Some take a colleague almost as a shield against a solo blast. The president's admonitions include, God damn it, how the F don't you know this? Don't effing BS me. This is the Megyn Kelly cleaned up version of Joe Biden's language. I would never say these words, as everyone knows. And get the F out of here. According to both current and former Biden aides who have witnessed and been on the receiving end of such outbursts, bursts, the private eruptions paint a more complicated picture of biden <laughs> than his carefully cultivated image as a kindly uncle well not for most of us <laughs> they go on to say dave no one is safe and give specific examples about what he does including try to bully young staff or he just keeps trying to exhaust their knowledge until he stumps the chump to make them squirm and feel uncomfortable uh, i could go on but this it's an interesting look at you know uncle joe
3: yeah, I mean, like that, that's been a very carefully curated image for Joe Biden. We know that this is the guy who would very intentionally swim naked in front of female, you know, social security or not social security, um, uh, secret service agents. Um, we we have some knowledge uh, of his temper uh, from some of the things that that we've seen on the laptop and other places, but. Generally speaking, you know, I, I do sometimes get the sense that we go a little overboard with the with the Joe Biden's lost it. He doesn't know what he's doing. I I, I wonder sometimes if if that's a remember, the, the mobster um, who would walk around in a bathrobe and pretend like he didn't know where he was. Wasn't um, it John so that, Gotti? No, it wasn't John Gotti. It wasn't John it was, Gotti? Oh, I can't can't believe I can't remember. Um, I'll come up. I can't remember his last name. But yeah, I mean, look. Biden knows about the sketchy things that that Hunter's done. We we all know that there is a different Joe Biden than the one that we see on TV. And I think that the American people are starting to see it. Now, what's curious about the fact that we're starting to see this from more liberal or mainstream outlets uh, is the possibility that he's being thrown under the bus a little bit, that there are real Mm -hmm. concerns that he's going to be a problem in the general election. And maybe now is the time that he needs to get a little bit kneecapped uh, to to get somebody like a Gavin Newsom uh, sniffing around the race.
2: The he is having troubles on that front, Stu. I mean, he's over there meeting with King Charles today in the U.K. And uh, take a look at this video where King Charles is like having trouble getting the president of the United States to move here they are together. King Charles is there. He's like over here or here, sir, here. This way. Come on. It's not time to chit chat with the guard. Here we go. That's it. You got it. <laughs> and Biden's gait is so unsteady. I mean, he's really telling us he's going to do six more years of this, too. And you take one look at him and you think, uh, mm, I got questions.
5: I have many, many questions. And it's funny because you the way that, that Trump was sold to everyone Uh, informed why Biden was the nominee and why he became president. We were told that this was a return to normalcy. and Everything about this has been a lie. It's not a return to normalcy. It has been crazier and crazier and more erratic than anything we've ever seen before. We were told this is a guy of the utmost competence who who was going to be to make every move uh, the, the right way and foreign affairs, for example, and we see Afghanistan, what's gone on with Ukraine and so many other things. Uh, we were told this guy was the ultimate family man, right? And here's a guy who won't even acknowledge his seventh grandchild, won't even acknowledge this poor little four-year-old girl exists. She had no input into what Hunter Biden's activities were. You know, this is this is a We were told this guy was a good guy. And I think that's kind of fundamentally where many people in the middle of the 2020 election that didn't have partisan ideology fell. They saw Donald Trump. They didn't like the things that he said, or they believed some of the hype on some of the allegations against him or whatever it was. They didn't like him. And they said, you know what? I'll go with this normal family man who will at least be competent and won't be yelling at people. And he won't be tweeting so much. Well, I mean, you've cut the tweets down by a significant percentage, and I don't know that that was worth it because everything else you were promised with Joe Biden, you've received the opposite. And I just you know, the the left wants this to be a Trump Biden contest because they just hope people will remember that feeling. They didn't like Donald Trump. Maybe when he's on TV again, they'll all remember they don't like him and instead will ignore what uh, Joe Biden has done and his performance has been like the past few years. If this election's about Joe Biden, I just don't know how he could win it.
2: It's crazy because he's he's 80 years old now, Dave. Trump is 77. Look at Trump in Iowa going into the Dairy Queen. I mean, completely slaying, as my 12 year old daughter would say, slay queen, uh, slay the day, (laughs) slaying the crowd. Look at the difference of three years and just the vibrance you know, of each man. Watch.
1: Everybody wants a blizzard. What the hell is a blizzard? <laughs> 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 order the blizzards and take care of the people. OK, you can take care of them. for me. Yeah, really. I will do the blizzard thing.
2: All right. Just so funny. And then he hands out the blizzards. And then let's let's not forget what happened when he went in front of the UFC uh, to watch a match the other day. Watch this. Look at that. Look at that. He's walking out to Kid Rock's American Badass while Joe Biden's like, King Charles, steady me, old chap. Where do I look? What should I do? Look, look. I I, I
3: mean. Trump is I, I know these guys from New York. I mean, Trump is just one of these guys. He likes to party. He likes to be the center of attention. He always has. You can go back to the 80s. You can go back to Studio 54. Um, This is who Trump is. He's clearly a much more spry uh, 77 than Joe Biden is, you know, uh, at 80. So I, Democrats keep saying that that's the contrast that they want, that they, that they think Biden's better off, I guess, because he already won in 2020. But I think they should be a little careful what they wish for as far as that goes. And I do think it's worth pointing out because I, 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 I've i been having a hard time trying to figure out why more Democrats aren't saying maybe we do need a primary. I think it's important to remember that Joe Biden is in many ways the third term of Barack Obama. Uh, and, and those are the people he has around him. Those are the people who run his White House. And so that that may be the answer, that the old Obama team that has been in control of the Democrat Party for, what, 16 years now, uh, that they're not ready to, to hand over control to a Gavin Newsom. Uh, and I'm starting to wonder if that's, part of the dynamic that that's keeping everybody behind Joe Biden, because, I mean, mm. it's, yeah, I mean, he looks ridiculous.
2: Right. He he truly looks feeble. Stu. you look at that video with Kim Charles. He looks feeble. And of course, we could we could spend an hour just butting the sound bites together and the videos together to show similar instances. And Trump is robust. And Ron DeSantis is in his mid 40s. I mean, forget Trump. I mean, DeSantis is a young fit. You know, life ahead of him, man, who's got basically toddlers in the governor's mansion down in Florida. So this is the this is a quite the pickle for the Democrats because they know it. And maybe maybe Dave's right. Maybe the Axios piece and some of the other like questions that are starting to percolate are the reasons behind it. I mean, he went on Biden went on CNN with Fareed Zakaria over the weekend. They said the interview was foreign policy based, nothing about Hunter. I mean, hello. You could 100 percent backdoor a question on Hunter Biden's China corruption, Ukraine corruption, the allegations against the pair of Bidens. If you will have to be foreign policy based, you could for It wouldn't be that hard to stick to the term Because sometimes they say to you he's going on a foreign policy trip. You know, you will give you an interview about that trip. But you can always backdoor the most relevant news. He chose to backdoor question on age. Okay, cool. Listen to, though, how fawning it was, Stu. Uh, And you tell me whether the left is ready to get rid of this guy. Watch.
3: Finally, Mr. President, um, you've often said when people ask you about your age, uh, just watch me. And I think a lot of people do watch you and are impressed. And they think you've been a great president. Uh, You've brought the economy back. Uh, you've restored relations with the world, but many of these people do say, and these are ardent supporters of yours, the next thing he should do is step aside and let another generation of Democrats take the baton. Why are they wrong?
0: No, I, well, let me—not right or wrong. I, it's uh,
3: look. To
0: use the phrase again. I think we're at an inflection point. I think the world is changing, and I think I. Uh, there is one thing that comes with age, if you've been honest about it your whole life, and that is some wisdom. I think we have enormous opportunities, and uh, and I think I, I just want to finish the job. And I think we can do that in the next six years.
2: Mr. President, it's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>
5: Okay. This is journalism. This is journalism today. Uh, it's been an honor to talk to you about how incredibly uh, virile you are in your 80s, <laughs> Mr. President. It's just it's embarrassing. i you, you, right. It's not even just Donald Trump because I mean, Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden don't even seem like they're in the same generation. Uh, they seem like, yeah. you know, like Joe Biden could be Donald Trump's dad the way they act. You see this from people all the time. We had uh, Alan Dershowitz on the air the other day. And, you know, he went through this whole thing about the Constitution and, and went on and on and on. And then we get off the air and you look up his age. He's 84. I mean, he seems it's like a, he's much more spry and, 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 and aware than anything that our president has right now. And it's just sad. Uh, it's sad to watch it. And I do think that's going to be a factor. I do think people can't help but see it. That's the thing. When you in politics, you can talk about policies. You can talk about all these distinctions, but there are certain things that people can't help themselves but see. And when they watch Joe Biden, they see this feeble man who cannot do this job. They know there have been lots of problems in the country. They might not like Donald Trump. They might not like other things that are coming from the right, but they can't stop themselves from seeing the obvious. And it really is obvious, especially when you see him next to Donald Trump. You talk about that video. I will I will say this. I would love to be a billionaire one day. I think that would be a wonderful life. Donald Trump's done a lot of great things. But if being a billionaire means I have to go my whole life without knowing what a blizzard is, I want no part he of knew. it.
2: Blizzards are
5: delicious. And they're no they an American icon.
3: I think he was joking. I don't, I don't um, know what a blizzard is. I could be is. wrong. I'm not a billionaire. What,
5: you don't know what a blizzard is? It's the most delicious ice cream. Tri- Dave, we got to go out, man. We'll right. get some cigarettes. You can teach me how to smoke. Uh, I'll teach you some blizzards. Sold.
2: <laughs> he definitely. I think he knew. Um. The, I love how Fareed Zakaria says to President Biden, you've restored relations with the world. Has he really the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal where now we have women getting tortured, the war in Ukraine, the threatened war in China? Maybe he means this, Dave Marcus. We send our Treasury secretary over there and she decides to break protocol repeatedly by bowing over and over to the Chinese, not even the leader like the 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 others in command. Look at this. Look at this over, over and over and over. Look at her. He's not bowing. He's totally erect, completely standing up. A man of power. She's on our on our behalf, bending over.
3: Yeah, she's I mean, she, she's like one of those perpetual motion machines where the duck keeps like you know, it's <laughs> yes. ridiculous, um, <clears throat> Now, you know, there was something that I learned at a conference at the Army War College back in 2018 about Donald Trump, to, speaking in terms of like our relationships with the world. And there was an ambassador who spoke who had worked both under or I've seen an ambassador, but a diplomat who had worked under both Obama and Trump. And the diplomat was asked the question, does it ever happen where t- Trump tweets some crazy thing that seems like it's at odds with American policy and and the embassy phone rings off the hook and everybody's like, what happened, is this? And she said, yes. She said that that, uh, that is a thing that sometimes happen. But she went on to say that sometimes in diplomacy that can be good because diplomats get in these ruts where they just go in circles and circles and circles. And our foreign adversaries and allies never were quite sure what Donald Trump was going to do or wasn't going to do and i think that we know exactly what joe biden's going to do he's going to give more money and more weapons to ukraine he's you know he's going to pull out of afghanistan exactly how he pulled out of afghanistan so i yeah i i i think he's done enormous i think biden's done enormous damage to our standing in the world because there's no originality in his foreign policy and there's no strength in it
2: just to pick up on the earlier threads Stu, about fitness among the candidates, you've got RFK still saber rattling and saying debate me. Let's have a debate. You got well-known supporters of his like Jack from Twitter uh, who founded Twitter saying, um, yeah, debate him. We want to see it like make him fight for it. And look at the contrast. I know RFK Jr. got criticized by his haters for this video. Um, but he was obviously trying to show the distinction between him, him at age 69 and our current president at age 80. There is zero chance President Biden could do one of these push-ups. <laughs> this man is fit. He is a good looking guy. He's very charming. He's extremely smart. And he has spent his life, his life trying to protect children. From toxic environmental pollutants that's how he that's how he's made whatever money he has not to mention he comes from a family considered democratic royalty but the contrast could not be more clear
5: the crunch contrast is incredibly clear uh, and I, you know it's funny i obviously this there's no win for uh, joe biden to go in and debate uh, rfk obviously he does have a big lead and and he wants to stay away from anything that's risky but he also knows that you know look the difference between rfk and joe biden in one one big if you want to make a broad generalization is that rfk junior is authentic he might not be right on everything he does believe stuff like i don't believe what he believes on global warming at all i think he's off the reservation on that stuff but he really truly believes it and he's not playing games he has an authentic belief. And that authenticity, I think, connects to a lot of voters across the spectrum. You see it a lot in the middle. You see it at some degree on the right. And if you look at RFK Jr.'s policy prescriptions, a lot of them look like traditional Democratic positions, right? Like environmental justice, uh, anti-war, right? Uh, even the vaccine stuff, which, you know for a very long time, was not it was not a right-wing position. It was kind of a- across the board. You saw a lot of people like Jenny McCarthy and you know, uh, you know, lots of left wing uh, Jim Carrey talking about this stuff all the time. It was a, a lot of Hollywood celebrities talked about that. And those people still exist in the Democratic Party. They're just looking at they're looking at the uh, their candidate and saying, wait, we're supposed to want the war in Ukraine now. Like, wait, all of a sudden, we're we're all of a sudden for all these foreign conflicts. Uh, I don't under- We Now we want. Now we're going to force everyone to to do all these things that that were that are the opposite of what we believed all this time you know the the protecting the border is something that RFK Jr has talked about and that has that was the traditional democratic position 20 or 30 years ago we can't let low cost workers come across the borders and hurt our union jobs well that's still where RFK Jr is he hasn't abandoned those positions he's been there the whole time and he truly believes it where you look at Joe Biden from day to day if he believes anything, it's hard to tell what it is other than oh, enriching his own family.
2: Now he sounds like Nicole Hannah Jones when it comes to fighting crime. Meanwhile, he was the one who sponsored the crime bill. Uh, yeah, no, it's ridiculous. And and RFK Jr., I mean, you can go back and look at his positions, but I agree with you. He's in another way, uh, very skeptical of the security state, which used to be mm-hmm. a Democratic position no longer.
0: Here's to the paper pushers. The rush hour warriors and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at
2: oceocean.com. The attacks on RFK Jr., that he's a conspiracy theorist, ramp up uh, dramatically by the day. And he sat with David Remnick of The New Yorker, who tried to get around really getting into what RFK Jr. has said about vaccines in a clever, though totally dishonest way, because it's a lot of work to take him on on vaccines because he spent his life researching them, litigating them, and has a wealth of knowledge that no reporter is ever going to have. Trust me, David Remnick, some of us spent weeks preparing for our interview with RFK Jr. so that we could challenge him. That's called um, your job. But here is how The New Yorker chose to handle it. Listen to this. I'll be very
0: honest with you. I don't want to engage you in the deep detail on the question of vaccinations and your belief stated in the past that vaccines are responsible for autism to some degree.
1: Do you not have any second thoughts about this? I've never shifted on it. I, I want good testing for the vaccines <laughs> and I want good science. You know, you say that scientists don't believe that. Well, you know, the scientists no, all, they at don't. one point all believe that the COVID vaccine prevented transmission. And when I said, no, they don't prevent transmission because I read the monkey studies in May of 2020. And I said, these vaccines should be dead in the water. They won't prevent transmission. And I was deplatformed.
2: He was. That's true. How lazy. I And I, I will say, David starts it with I have a child who's got autism. I mean, honestly, most of us know somebody who's like in their immediate family who's got a child with autism. This is such a widespread problem for families now. It doesn't. He's not unique with all due respect to him and his child. Um, it doesn't give him a particular insight on what causes autism. And RFK Jr. has stated his belief on the relationship. The pot, I mean, he basically thinks it's an it's a ubiquitous problem. It's like the pollutants are everywhere. The vaccines for a long time had mercury. Now they have aluminum. The kids are swimming in a toxic stew in today in modern day America in a way they weren't when we were all kids. That's what he says. But Remnick is too lazy to go there. He's got to play the card about his own child. So, you know, I've got a horse in this race and and you're not worth debating on it because, you know, your your views are just downright dangerous still
5: yeah i mean why bother for you know getting ready for an interview when it's much easier to do that thing because everyone in the media of course will cheer it on when you say well i'm not going to engage yeah. you on this this of course we saw this with the joe rogan debate story from a couple of weeks ago you actually get the uh, cheering and adulation from the media for avoiding these types of conversations and look i think when it comes down to it people get really passionate about this issue on both sides I think one of the big problems we found in this country recently, this is a new discovery that I thought was kind of the foundation of the country that we avoided this type of problem. If you have a situation like, for example, the vaccine and you tell people, hey, here's the information that we have. Here's what it looks like. Um, You can look at it yourself and you can make your own determination of whether you would like to use it or not. That is a really American approach to something like this, where you say, uh, hey, look, we're going to have different opportunities. Some people are going to say, I think this is nuts. It's not been tested long enough. I want to see the long-term ramifications. Other people are going to say, look, I've got a health problem, and I'm really worried about COVID, and I'm going to take it. If you put people in that position, everyone can live together. You can have a country that is civilized and not attacking each other and going nuts all the time and trying to ban their opponents. When you start forcing people to take it, When you ban their speech, when you fire them from their jobs, when you remove their livelihoods by enforcing the choice onto them, that is where we get into a problem. And honestly, I thought that was the real basic agreement we all had together in this country. I thought it was one of the reasons why we thrived as a nation, letting people make their own decisions about what they want to do with their own lives with very limited guardrails. We've gone away from that. RFK Jr. has been a big victim of this over the past couple of years, but he's not the only one. We see it across speech. We we see it all over the place. This is the type of thing that if we reverse this and go back to a a situation where we prioritize personal liberty over the government making these decisions for you, everybody is better off.
2: It's such a lazy way to have an argument or challenge a, a knowledgeable guest, Dave, right? Like you're a reporter. You understand if you want to go there with RFK Jr. on vaccines, go there. But do your homework first. Don't just say I'm above you. You're a nutcase. You're dangerous. So I'm just going to point out to my audience how effed up you are and then get you to briefly comment and we'll move on. That that is intellectual laziness.
3: Oh, it's worse than laziness because the the purpose of this is to delegitimize not just RFK Jr. on the vaccine question, but RFK Jr. across the board. R.F.K. Jr. will say things that almost any other Democrat won't say, right? Stu pointed out his criticism of um, the, the war in Ukraine. Another one is R.F.K. came out and said biological men shouldn't be in women's sports. Find me another Democrat. Find me any elected official in the Democrat Party who believes this thing that the vast majority of Americans believe, the vast majority of Americans look at that basic unfairness. And they say, well, obviously, Leah Thomas shouldn't be in the swimming pool with these women. RFK is very dangerous because he'll say so. And when you have that kind of a danger, the way that the progressive left tries to take care of it is by saying, well, look at how dangerous this person is. If you even listen to this person or engage with this person, then you're part of the problem. So you have to not hear what they're saying at all. Uh, unfortunately, at the moment for them, I, I think RFK Jr.'s messages are starting to penetrate a little bit. And these are issues that they're going to have to try to honestly deal with and, and not just deflect in this rather shameful way.
2: It's super fun to watch him out there and you know doing an intellectual battle because he's got the goods like it's I've been on the other side of him trying to press trying to make sure his arguments were sound. He has got the goods. And by the way, he talks openly about how he vaccinated all of his children. It's not like he he knows that the vaccines don't directly cause autism. He vaccinated all of his children and they don't have autism. He's not saying that. He's he's offering it as something that we should be looking at that the combination of toxins in our environment that we give to kids at young ages um, could be potentially problematic for them health wise, autism, etc. And so it's a much more nuanced message than the media would have us believe. Um, okay, I've got to ask you, Dave, about Moms for Liberty, because it's yet another example of the dishonest media trying to, to ruin, trying to ruin someone they perceive as as an adversary and an effective one. It's similar to what they did to Kay, doing to Casey Desantis, what they're doing to RFK Jr. I love Moms for Liberty. Uh, It was founded by two moms down in Orlando, Tiffany Justice. She invited me to go to, I think it was either their first or their second ever conference. And I went because I believed in their mission, even though they were just getting started. And I continue to believe in their mission. Now they're huge. And you've got all sorts of hit pieces on them, including the Southern Poverty Law Center, calling them an extremist group. Media Matters for America has been all over them, attacking her for serving almond milk (laughs) at the convention. (laughs) <laughs> Tiffany tweeted out, I'm lactose intolerant. Is Does that make me a lib? OK, that's fine. <laughs> but what do you make of what happened down there in the media reaction to it? it was I think in philadelphia the, the, the media
3: the media matters thing was was really remarkable because they sent along with a, co- a couple other outlets did this too but they sent a reporter undercover when i i went and covered it with a media credential and sort of played by the rules media Matters says you know we'll we'll send an undercover agent we'll find the dark underbelly of, of this you know white supremacist organ and they found none of it i mean they found nothing and that's why the, the author spent two thousand words writing about the food literally one of the most telling aspects of, of covering this was when I went out into the protests, right? And the hardcore protesters you can't talk to, they don't want a conversation. But yeah. I did find this one older guy, maybe mid to late 60s. I put this in my column. I said to him, "He's holding the sign. It says, Moms for Liberty are fascists. And I said, Okay, like, yeah, introduce myself. I'm here with Fox. Why do you think they're fascists? And he looked at me and he said, uh, You should really ask my wife, who's over with the main body there, because <laughs> she's a librarian. <laughs> And I said, well, okay, but like, you're calling these people fascists. Shouldn't you know why? And he said, again, you really need to ask my wife. And I, you know, that's what they're up against. And, you know, I asked some of the moms, I said, does it hurt when these people in person, not on Twitter, these people are shouting at you, calling you a Nazi and a white supremacist. And most of them said, no, you know, it's, it's, it's water off a duck's back. Like, you know, who cares what they say? But some of them, I think, were more honest with me and said, yeah, it sucks when someone yells in your face that you're a Nazi. It hurts uh, emotionally. And and it really speaks to a sickness in our society that I think is mostly on the left and and something that we really need to knock off.
2: They they'll get used to it. I feel like the ones who started Moms for Liberty are already used to it. The ones who are feeling hurt are going to get over it fast because it happens every day when you take the, you know, the wrong side of these issues. I cannot let you go without talking about the new Miss Netherland. The Miss Netherlands is Ricky Valerie Cole, crowned the winner of Miss Nederland 2023 on Saturday. Yay. Yay. Go, Ricky. Oh, wait, wait. Um, I'll give you one look at Ricky and the first runner up. OK, one look at Ricky and the first runner up. We have the, the the full screen picture. Stand by. There we go. Right now, Ricky's here on the left, gentlemen. <clears throat> the first runner-up is on the we right. Knew. Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> you, we knew. We knew which one it was, Megan. You didn't have to. Do, um, you didn't. Can have to anyone
2: take that. a guess as to why this person on the left beat this amazingly beautiful person on the right in the beauty pageant? Any thoughts? Any guesses?
5: Gee, I don't know. What could it possibly be? Uh, could it possibly be that uh, the it's not there was there was not a fair competition here because one
3: was a man and one was a woman.
2: That used to work in our favor
3: competition. Maybe it was the talent competition was like basketball and she dominated. dominated. <laughs> maybe that's I don't know. People was there a power lifting segment yeah, of this particular I mean. feet mm-hmm. of strength? Right? Yeah. Like, and, that, that would give you an advantage.
2: I think. I, it's like there isn't a woman's space that that people like Ricky don't want to take over that. That would have been a nice spot for an actual woman to to win in, to compete in, to potentially advance in. You could win Miss Universe opens up all sorts of opportunity. And now you have men coming in saying, I want it. I want it for me. And as my friends Carrie and Britt would say, it's a no. It's a no.
4: It's a hard no. Hard no.
2: Former beauty pageants themselves is this the future of women's beauty pageants, Dave Marcus?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, the, the immediate future. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course it is. Are, are we going to break out of this spell at some point in, in the more distant future? I, I sure hope so. But um, yeah, I, I mean, for now, you're going to continue to see this. It's crazy.
2: I, I don't know. I, it's an obvious affirmative action case. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. zero chance that Ricky won because Ricky was the most beautiful person at the pageant. Hello. I just proved it. And it's a beauty contest. It is a pure beauty contest. This is absolutely outrageous. He shouldn't have been allowed in. And the second, the first runner up uh, should be advanced. Here's the perfect comment that Ricky posted about it. Uh, I did it. It's unreal. Correct. (laughs) Correct. <laughs> well said, Ricky. <laughs> I gotta go, guys. Great to see you. Uh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. We'll do it again soon. Coming up to authors and experts who have a very clear piece of advice for you on how to address your health and well-being. I love they're just few nuggets for you to do if you only have 20 minutes a day to focus on your health. They'll just give you the super quick nuggets that you can take away. Jillian Michaels recommended this pair to us. You're going to love them. Stand by.
0: Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat French fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.
2: Are you struggling to make your health a priority? You know that you should, but actually doing it can be a struggle. Do you think it's too overwhelming? Are you too tired? Is it too time consuming? Hello, I hear you. Well, husband and wife founders of Mind Body Green may have the solution for you. Colleen and Jason Wacom have cut through the health noise and have written a book that makes getting healthy accessible and genuinely enjoyable. <gasps> think of it. The book is called The Joy of Well Being: a practical guide to a happy, healthy and long life. And Jason and Colleen are here to share how we can all reach our maximum well being. Colleen and Jason, wel- welcome to the show. Great to have you.
6: Thanks so much for having us.
2: This is perfectly timed, I can say for me, because <laughs> I have been trying to get in shape the past couple of months, I've been trying to exercise more. And I do this one thing. It's called the class. I enjoy it. It's very hard. It's hard. And now that I'm down at the beach, it's beautiful out. And I you can walk for miles and get some fresh air. You can see the ocean. You can see some trees. You can see some people. And I'm really liking that. But it's not quite as taxing on me as doing even just one hour of the class. And I have been feeling guilty about not doing the super taxing thing and instead doing this other thing, which I can go for an hour and 20 minutes. Do I can go for longer? And your book relieved me of this burden and, and just reinforced to me that this is actually a great alternative and maybe even a preferable one. So can you let's let's kick it off there on why am I enjoying this walk so much and why is it better for me potentially than an hour of an exercise class?
6: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. So much of our world is a, is a world in health and wellness of exclusion, exclusion, and adding, and not editing or integration. And I think so many of us are are busy with our lives, work, and family, and you know we don't fare so well in fitness. And the, I think January thirteenth was National Quitters Day at the gym. So January thirteenth, <laughs> we've quit. And our thesis is the big why is because it doesn't bring us joy and we have unrealistic expectations, and those practices, protocols, or modalities don't actually fit into our life. So you mentioned walking on the beach in the summer. That sounds amazing. Walking is probably the most underrated fitness modality out there, period. Walking in nature, even better. Walking in nature with a friend or family member, interval walking, increasing, decreasing speed, has tremendous benefits and you know walking is something if you enjoy you should do it there are significant benefits in terms of in in terms of preventing cognitive decline there was a great study uh in 1940s that looked at uh transportation workers in london and they compared the conductors who were who were moving to the 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 drivers and guess who had much lower incidence of cardiovascular disease the conductors who were constantly moving There's study after study promoting the the benefits of walking specifically in nature.
2: Hmm. And the the nature piece of it can it can extend your lifespan. I mean, it can literally extend extend your lifespan if you can see a tree, if you can see water. You know, it's like back when we were kids. We kind of had it all figured out whether we knew it or not.
6: Uh, absolutely. And I think there's study after study that really speaks to the power of nature and what it does for us in terms of all all the longevity benefits in terms of our mental health and we're facing a mental health epidemic right now so it is vastly underrated
4: and for Mm -hmm. so many people spending time in nature can be a sort of spiritual connection that we're all missing right now and one of our favorite experts within the field, Dr. Lisa Miller has some you know, really incredible research that uh, girls who grow up with a high connection to spirituality are 80% more protected against oppression. And it's not just during childhood, it's throughout their entire lives. And what I love about Dr. Miller's language is she has such a generous definition of spirituality. It's not the you know, woo-woo stuff that we all might frown our eyes on. It can be organized religion. It can be spending time in nature can be volunteering. It's really just this connection to something bigger than ourselves that we are all looking for right now.
6: And what's that even is better so is the, the science promotes this idea that it's protective during one's entire lifetime. It's not exclusive to childhood or a certain period of time. So it really makes the case, given the mental health epidemic, to focus on spirituality as a, as something being protective against our mental health and depression.
2: And we when we're doing exactly the opposite, of course, we're trying to push spirituality. Yes. And also religion out of the public square. We discourage it. The country's getting less and less spiritual instead of more and more creating a vacuum that we fill with other unhealthy things, whether it's drinking or radical ideologies. It could be any of these things
6: absolutely
4: and we see some of this you know tribalism play out even within the health and wellness space you know 10 20 years ago I wouldn't thought there would be so much anger within this space but as people move away from organized religions they're putting that same fervor they're putting that same passion towards their health and wellness ideologies which is why we're not really able to have a civil di- discourse around simple questions like what's the right diet for me and instead of being open to science and open to new ideas we found that people are extraordinarily inflexible and the one thing Thing we
2: recommend is that the only thing to be rigid about is being flexible mm-hmm, right. and I, I definitely want to talk about food, but let's stay on exercise since I kicked it off there because you two have your own stories about how you made a reference to it a second ago, how you used to approach this issue until injury and and just the realities of that kind of dedication caught up with you. Can you talk a little bit about that?
6: Yeah, so for me specifically, um, I almost had back surgery and it started my journey and ended up the, the big part of the story of why I founded my buddy Green. Um, I had an old college basketball injury, and I was running another startup that wasn't doing so well, and I flew over 100,000 miles domestic in one year. You can't see from the camera, or listeners can't tell, I'm six foot seven. So me in a coach seat is not good for, for me or the person in front of me. Oh, wow. It turns out that the basketball injury combined with stress and flying, I had two extruded discs in my lower back, pressing on my static nerve, the classic L4, L5, S1. I couldn't walk. My right leg was like a lightning rod. It's excruciating. and Walking brings me tremendous joy. Went to a, a back doctor, a surgeon, and he said, you need surgery, no surprise. I have nothing against back surgery, but I believe in lifestyle modification first. And the success rates of back surgery aren't, aren't good. So I sought a second opinion. That doctor said the same thing. He said, Do you need back surgery? And it was almost like an afterthought. He said, you know what? Maybe some yoga or therapy could help. Colleen and I were dating at the time. Mm-hmm. She had a yoga practice. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll try it. And a little bit of yoga, five to 10 minutes in the morning and evening, I started to feel better. And over the course of six months, I completely healed. And the yoga was a big part of it wasn't the only part I changed my diet, I went from a guy who consumed uh, way too much meat and alcohol, so much so my face is on the wall of the Pop Steakhouse in Midtown Manhattan next to Joe Namath and Adam Sandler uh still eat meat but not as much make sure it's trying it's grass-fed uh (laughs) probably more about the martinis back then uh but started to evolve diet started to look at stress sleep the environment all the the toxins forever chemicals are in the news unfortunately again with the tap water it's really unfortunate made a lot of changes in my life of our
2: tap water has forever chemicals in it keep going
6: yeah terrible half half the tap water in america um and it was very clear to me that true well-being was this fundamental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and environmental well-being. They were all connected, one word, mind, body, green. And so that that was a big part of my healing journey. And, and it's evolved to my focus is on longevity today. I'm 48 years old. Men in my family have a terrible track record here. My father died of heart disease at 47. Uh, both grand, grandfathers died early as well. One 49 heart disease, the other 44 cancer. And so we have two little girls, age six and four. I want to be around for a long time. And this is my passion. And what's been so exciting about the science is so much of it points (laughs) to practices, protocols, and modifications that are low cost or zero cost and require minimal time and effort. And that's exciting because the big objection to our world, the health and wellness world, is I don't have the time, I don't have the resources. Well, there's good news. There's so much you can do if you have minimal time or minimal resources.
2: And it doesn't have to be as complicated as you think it is. You know, you say like, oh, eat keto. It's like, oh, my God, my eyes glaze over. I don't know how to do that. I don't know if I have the time to even find out. So you you have practical recommendations along this front. I want to tell you something. You just you just uh, I, I wanted to tell the audience this and I just haven't had the chance. But um, my back was really starting to hurt me recently because thanks to my exercise class, I, it turns out I may have been overdoing it a little. And um, so I said to Abby, my assistant, I'm like, can you get me in to see this guy? Because my primary care physician gave me a name. Well, it's a long story, but the long story short is it took me about 45 minutes into the visit to realize I was at a chiropractor. I, th- I thought I was going to see an orthopedic doctor. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're a chiropractor? I'm at a chiropractor's office? Okay, great. Anyway, I don't need surgery. I have a, like a disc that's kind of getting pushed pushed back, you know, but it's not like out and it could get pe- pushed back in. And He was explaining to me that the devil in back care is this rounded shoulders forward how uh, so many yep. office people sit every day right and he said you need to sit you know shoulders back um it's basically like I mean forgive me but th- my son gave me this model he said he thinks of so it sometimes it's almost like you picture lasers coming out of your breasts or your chest if you're a man yep. like you know you're kind of <laughs> but it helps shoulders back lasers out and he said if you can walk around like that for ninety percent of your day your back is going to get better. You're not going to need surgery. I can give you some exercise to do as well. And I said, well, it really hurts the the muscles in my upper back when I do that for too long. And he's like, yep, it's going to hurt for like a month. And then it's not going to hurt anymore. And oh my God, he was right. The upper back no longer hurts when I'm sitting up perfectly with great posture. And the lower back is getting better. No surgery, no interventions, just an honest guy who was like, stop rounding your back so much. He even said, just final pro tip. I'm like, what about reading in bed? I'm all rounded. He said, my wife, not him. but He said, my wife is so vigilant about this. She gets a music stand and she sits on a like a little couch in their bedroom and she reads off the music stand. So determined is she not to have the rounded back, not to mention the quadruple chin we all get from looking down. I thought these are great tips. I want to share these. But it's right up your alley. I will forever remember the lasers analogy. (laughs) It works. Who knew? And even like you go down to like tie your shoe, you know, or here at the beach, I've been playing pickle. Um, And there, you know, I just go straight down. I look like I look like I've had back surgery, but I go straight down to pick up the ball. Anyway, it's making a big difference. Let's get back to the, the exercise plan. Go ahead. I
6: think you're making a great point. You're outlining integration. I think we're we're almost brainwashed. The industry is brainwashed into believing we need to add into our existing day to day, when the reality is we can integrate these practices into our life. So, whether that's taking a, a walking call, whether that is doing some push ups and sit ups when you've got 10 minutes, it is possible to take these little micro moments. They add up during the day. You don't have to to do much whether it's taking the stairs we have a personal rule less than 5 flights we take the stairs there's a lot of talk about zone 2 training about the cardiovascular benefits you don't have to go out and do a fancy vo2 max test your audience probably like what the hell is that to get an understanding of how to get in zone 2 zone 2 is essentially being able to hold a conversation but being slightly out of breath you can do that on the stairs you can do that with a fast paced walk the benefits are unbelievable and you can figure out how to integrate that into your existing day
2: Mm. I will tell you on on my fast walk that I like, I'll walk three blocks and then I'll do like a light jog for three blocks and then I'll walk three blocks. And at first I was kind of ashamed to go from the run, not a run, but a jog back into the walk. You know, you don't want people to see you. You feel like you're a quitter. Now I wear it loud and proud. I'm like, this is my interval training. This makes this whole thing possible for me because I could never go for just a straight jog. I just don't have that. The knees or the back for it, and I'm really enjoying that. So it's anyway, uh, bit by bit. But, I'm learning some of this stuff.
6: But that, that's Can amazing. You, you should you should do things that you enjoy. And if running brings you joy, run. I well, the I last time that. I ran was the last <laughs> basketball game I played in 1998. If you see me running, call the police because I am in trouble. <laughs> it does not bring me joy. I won't do it.
2: You went too far. I wouldn't say enjoy, but I recognize it's better if I can get a little heart rate going in there. Can we talk about cold therapy? That was another thing that you guys recommend that I find fascinating. This is kind of an easy way. Like We're, we're doing the easy stuff that, you know, that's what your book is all about. What is cold therapy, Colleen? And how do I why do I need it? How does it change my life? Yeah. So
4: cold therapy is all the rage right now. And it's one of the hermetic stressors, which so many people are incorporating into their routines. And I think there's two different types of stressors. And one of the reasons why we talked about cold therapy is because anyone can emulate it. You don't need one of the $4,000 cold plunges that you see on the internet, but you can do it with the joy of a cold shower. Um, Cold exposure can also activate brown fat, um, there, so there's lots of great science behind it. And people with brown fat had a lower incidence of type 2 diabetes, lower incidence of um, brown fat. abnormal cholesterol, and a lower risk of coronary artery disease, hypertension, and congenital heart failure. One of the things we are also super transparent about in this book is that we do not do cold therapy. We acknowledge that there is a ton of amazing science, but it is something that does not bring us joy. I have Odes I get really cold. I will literally start to shrivel and my body will turn purple. So we do a lot of things. But I think at the end of the day, we all have to be adults. We are the we have to take responsibility, be the CEOs of our own health and well-being and understand what
2: are going to be the needle movers for us on our own journeys. Hmm. I. Th- but I like the thing about the shower because I don't yeah. want to get into an Arctic, you know, pit, pit of water from the snow. But I have heard night and, and occasionally will do, you know, the hot, hot shower. And just for the last 60 seconds, you turn it cold and I'm in there like, oh, ah, ah, but you come out feeling like you had a cup of coffee. You feel invigorated. Is that Do you get any benefit from that? Is that enough?
6: You, you do. And I think our view is every everything counts to some degree. And I think with cold, if it's 30 seconds or a minute, you're going to get some benefit and you do start to have diminishing returns if you try to overdo it.
2: Mm, okay, all right well, this is good to know um, so I like that that's a good you you don't have to go to the, you know the mountains you can do it in your shower in the morning. how about that um, the other super easy thing and I've been thinking about it all morning is breathing through your nose
4: what? this is what? probably one of our favorites and we started the book with breath you know primarily due to I had a pulmonary embolism over 10 years ago, when I had literally showers of clots in my lungs. And it was the first time in my life that I really thought about one of the most basic things we do, which is breathe. We breathe 17,000 to 30,000 times a day. And more than half of the population is breathing all wrong. If you're not sure if you're breathing wrong, if you snore, it's probably a sign that something's off. So there's about 50 to 80% of adults that exhibit what we call dysfunctional breathing habits anxiety, allergies, sleep apnea. And you know the key you really hit on is, is breathing through your nose or nostril breathing. Um, there's a ton of health benefits to it in terms of filtering out the bad stuff, increasing CO2 tolerance. Um, as someone who runs high in anxiety, I like it because breathing through your nose activates a parasympathetic or the rest and digest system. So you are instantaneously ushering in a really welcome sense of calm. And we've respond to tools that can be used IRL. So not the tools necessarily that you do before work or after work and elaborate morning routines that so many of us just don't have the time for. But what you can actually do when you're in the middle of a stressful meeting when you're driving and, you know, someone cuts you off is just to instantly start breathing through your nose, you can practice when you're doing the dishes, so that you can build your way up to being able to breathe through your nose and
2: nostril breathing at night. And it, is it it actually does have something to do with all the filter that the air has to go through, like your nose hairs. But even beyond your nose hairs, stuff happens in the back there that will filter the air before it gets to your lungs in a way that's not going to happen if you mouth breathe.
4: Absolutely. It filters out bad stuff like bacteria and viruses. So it's just a good idea across the
2: spectrum of health to mental health so fascinating. Who knew? And again, we'll get to food. But the other thing that's great, and I mentioned it right off the top of the show with our pal David Marcus, is socialization, socialization. It's crazy how beneficial this is. Jason, you can truly extend your lifespan. Like it's worse for you to be lonely than it is to be a big boozer, a big smoker, or even obese.
6: Yeah, th- this is such a huge one, given the state of the the country we're in right now. Twenty four percent of young adults under the age of thirty suffer high levels of loneliness. One in seven men don't have a single friend. One in ten women don't have a single friend. Oh. Twenty, you know, and if you think about, okay, so why why does this matter? In terms of increasing one's odds of premature mortality, lacking social connect connection is slightly worse than smoking fifteen cigarettes a day. Being lonely is twice as worse as having six drinks a day. That's 42 drinks a week. Three times as worse as being physically inactive, four times as worse as being obese. One study researchers even found that those who are socially isolated were 45% more likely to get sick with a common cold. And so... Look, nutrition and exercise are paramount. We should always be talking about them, but we need to talk more about connection specifically because of the loneliness epidemic and the mental health epidemic. We all mm-hmm. need IRL connection. And you know what? There was a 2019 study out of Cigna. This is pre-pandemic that said only half of Americans were having meaningful daily face-to-face social interactions. God knows what that study what that looks like in 2023 scary. There
4: are so many nutrition and fitness influencers in the health and well-being space, and we want to create a resurgence of social connection influencers, inspiring people (sighs) to get together IRL because not all connection is created equal. So if you are texting someone and thinking, oh, I've got a friends, I've got a network, I've got a community, it literally does not have the same impact on oxytocin, the love hormone, or in terms of decreasing your cortisol levels, as it would if you had the tender touch of a friend or a loved one who was nearby, and who was able to comfort you when you're in the midst of of hard times. And as we look now with so such a scary mental health crisis, 60% of high school girls dealing with you know some sort of depression we really need to draw upon these tools and to um, help teach everyone how to better weather the inevitable ups and downs um, that life entails you say pick up
2: the phone like the, it, it can be phone phones better than text
6: yeah and, and I think you know this is an area where men are traditionally way worse than women myself included. And I think, you know, phone, yes, but this is, where, this is where texting and social media can be to your advantage. I think, you know, there used to be 20 years ago, the, the awkward moment of picking up a phone and then someone doesn't recognize your voice. <laughs> now it's a simple text. Hey, so-and-so, it's, it's Jason. Been too long, been thinking about you, would love to reconnect. Right away, You'll you'll gauge their appetite with their response. And, you know, you're probably going to be pleasantly surprised. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that can go a long way. And it's something I'm personally working on.
2: Uh, I've told the audience about my Nana. She lived to one hundred and one. She was born in 1915 and uh, she was overweight. She uh, had never exercised a day in her life. She existed in her last two or three decades on solely on processed food. I mean, we gave her real food, but she just ate. She just preferred the other stuff. And so why did she live to one hundred and one? She was social. She lived on yeah. her own all the way through a hundred. She she walked up and down the hall. She chatted with everybody. She was hilarious. And I'm telling you, I'm convinced that this is why she lived as long as she did.
6: Well, I think you're onto something. And in the book, we talk about the Rosetto study, which we discovered in the process of researching and writing the the book. And Rosetto was this small town in rural Pennsylvania in the 1950s. And this is when heart disease arrives in America, but not Rosetto. (laughs) The rate of heart attacks in people over 65 was half that of the nation, Men under 55, no heart attacks. So they said, what, what's going on in Rosetto? They seem to be immune to heart disease. Well, they were smoking, they were drinking, they were eating lots of pasta and meatballs. This makes no sense. P- pretty much any wellness expert you'd ever have on your show would say, do not do these things. And so when they took a deeper look, Rosetto had incredibly strong social connections. Multi-generational living was extraordinarily common. The the drinking, the smoking, and the meatballs was in the context of parties, parades, enjoying wine and food with family and friends they were just so incredibly connected. And guess what? In the 1960s, people started to move away and heart disease arrived and caught up with the national average.
2: mm, A sad ending, but we can all change that in our own lives (laughs) and sort of try to get more communal. All right, let's talk about food. Um, it, It confuses me. I know you guys have a good point, which is that the science on nutrition is too young to actually stake anything on. Is that is that why every other week I'm being told to eat a different way by people who I actually like and respect? And but then they everything's reversed. It's like, it's all red meat. No, don't eat any red meat. It's all plant-based. No, don't eat. They're covered in pesticides. It's all like I don't know. I don't know what to eat.
6: I don't think you're alone. I share your
2: confusion. <laughs> yes,
6: I think this is a big problem. I think what some of the extremes have in common is that they're avoiding ultra processed foods. And that's probably the reason why they're feeling better. And look, the consequences of eating ultra-processed foods are, are dire. There was a study out of France that showed that a 10% increase in consumption of highly processed foods led to a 14% increased risk of death. Bad news for us is two-thirds of calories that our children consume are ultra-processed foods. Yes. And I think starting, I, I encourage everyone in the book, I get some baseline lab work. Uh, I list all my extensive lab work uh, that anyone can can reference. And I think that's a good place to, to start. There are some people who could eat grass-fed meat all day, and their lipid panel is fine. There are others who look at meat, and their lipid panel goes through the roof. And I just encourage mm-hmm. people to get some baseline labs. But you know, I think to, to simplify, it's eat, eating real food and really starting
2: there. And what is real food?
6: I think real food is the perimeter of the grocery store. It's it's vegetables, it's fruits, it's nuts, it's seeds, it's 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 meat, it's seafood it's chicken, it's eggs. It is not highly processed.
2: Stuff that can go bad.
6: <laughs> Correct. Although we are big proponents, and this is where the accessibility piece comes in. Look, the, the, When stuff goes bad, that's a risk. If I have if a limited budget, I don't want to have to buy arugula and worry it's going to go bad in three days. There's frozen options. We are huge proponents of buying frozen food. You get more for your money and it lasts.
2: And isn't the doesn't Frozen? Don't frozen vegetables actually retain more of their nutrients than some of the stuff that gets imported? Might be sitting out at the grocer.
6: Yeah, I, I think that's another question. You know, the the the, the whole produce uh, area can quickly get become an, an episode of Portlandia in terms of how local it is and where it comes from. The reality is, I think, use your common sense of where you live. Uh, if you're getting strawberries in New York in the winter, they're probably coming in from somewhere. And I think that's, that's, you know, at the end of the day, shop for what's meaningful to you and your diet and try to make decisions on seasonality if you're, if you're able
5: to.
2: So what about these fad diets? You know, do you guys have, well, I don't know if we can call them fads because they've been around for a while now, whether it's paleo or keto. Um, I, I could go down the list. How do you feel about those? You know, I think it goes back to
4: that tribalism within the within the wellness world. And, you know, we have such a complicated relationship with all of these wellness fads, which is why we intentionally didn't call the book The Joy of Wellness, um, because it has just become a cacophony of voices that, you know, even people like us who are entrenched in this can't understand what to do. And when we look at the wellness world right now, we see a lot of coastal elites pushing trends. You know, on the one hand, you've got Kardashian wellness, um, which feels like an extension of the beauty and fashion world. And then on the other hand, you have the biohacking bros in Malibu who are are pushing the the latest tools and gadgets. And if you have the tool, time, tools and resources to explore, fantastic. Um, But, you know, we also love these wellness modalities because they've had a profound impact on our own lives i draw drew upon these principles when i was healing from my own pulmonary embolism but the ones that we continue to go back to are the ones that are time tested affordable and don't take a ton of time and we want to shift the wellness conversation from one of fad diets of fads in general of restriction to literally being one of joy abundance and integration instead of addition.
2: Now, what we hear from so many people is plant based, plant based, plant based. And I don't even know what that means. My husband sent me an article yesterday that that, um, he found interesting. It was on Yahoo. And it was like some guy whose biological age is 20 years younger than his actual age. And all he does is intermittent fasting. He doesn't drink and he only eats plant-based foods and then it listed like oatmeal i'm like is oatmeal plant i don't understand how to eat plant-based i don't get it i thought it was salad i what is plant-based
6: well uh, unfortunately plant-based the 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 term has been hijacked you know impossible burgers and beyond meat are technically plant-based but those are highly processed foods that they're right. it's vegan junk food they they're not healthy if we're talking about you know again eating Fresh produce, different story. But unfortunately, we are not. And I think with some of the longevity conversation, uh, the biohacking is sort of taking this to a place that does not bring anyone joy. And, and we're trying to reframe the conversation. I think the, co- the longevity conversation, if you think about it, is extending years. You know, say let, let, let's live to a hundred, and then longevity evolved to health span, which is quality of life, absence of disease. So. In a perfect world, you live ninety-nine years with with no no disease. You're you're mobile. You're fit. You're active. You're doing the things you want to do, and then you know you rapidly decline overnight. Maybe it's a mm-hmm. heart attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like joy span. Right. We like this idea of bringing back joy. What's the point of living to hundred if you're not fun? <laughs> if your kids don't talk to you? If you're miserable? What's what's the point? And I think when you when you start to look at emotional well being, the questions are a lot more difficult. Uh, if you have if you have to think twice about who am I supposed to call at midnight when you know I'm in dire need of help, you're probably gonna have to ask some hard questions that require some work. And ultimately, you know, you may do all the things that are extending your life, but does it bring you happy? If you're going out to a birthday dinner and you're afraid to have cake, we would argue that negates the benefit of not having the cake. Have the cake when you're celebrating in, in Rosetto style. Maybe you don't do it every single day. <laughs> but you need to enjoy life. You need to bring back joy.
2: Yes, I I mean, I watch what I eat because I'm just vain and I also want to live a long and healthy life. But we went to France for two weeks and I ate what I wanted. I, was, oh, I wasn't I was going to turn down the croissants over there or the amazing bread with the butter and the delicious sauces. I mean, like I had and the cheese. I had it all and I'm fine. You know, it's like net net. It's two weeks. If you're living a healthy life in general, you can get away with that.
6: As you as you should, you know, one in Rome, eat the pizza. One in France, have the cheese. You should do so. I think you would be miserable. And so would your family if you decided to abstain from all the French goodness that would not make for a meaningful, memorable vacation in France.
2: Mm -hmm. Now, what about I mean, like, what do you guys eat on a daily basis? Or is this not a good question? Because you're saying it can all be individual. And you know what brings me joy and within reason works.
4: I mean, I, I think you're onto that one. On one podcast, we did get asked, like, "What do you eat?" And you hate it, but you know it's so good for you, so you eat it anyways. And we're like, "Well, nothing," because we everything go. that Organ we meats. do eat on a daily basis, like, brings us some joy. You know, in, in general, we're we're thoughtful about being um, having enough plant plant forward meals, so having enough fiber in our diets, and then we're also fiber. really thoughtful about protein intake.
6: Yeah, I'm a big fan. When big. we were asked that question about which healthy food we do not enjoy, Colleen said, "Well, Jason, that's sardines." And I said, "I actually really like sardines. and Sardines are incredibly uh, nutrient dense. So no. I, think, I think I think for us, it's try to eat a lot of fresh food. Uh, protein has become a focus in our you know in our quest for for being healthy as we age. Uh, there was a stat we came across while writing the book which was really eye-opening. And it's that uh, one in four uh, people over the age of 65 fall. And if you fall once, you are twice as likely to fall again. And if you fall and break your hip, there's a 30 to 40% chance you'll die within a year. And it's not necessarily from the fall, it's from you know complications from surgery, maybe an infection, or maybe it's the depression that ensues after being immobile. And anecdotally, that one we've seen with friends and family members, yeah. And so that one hit home and where this segues to exercise and nutrition, you know, so what do you want to do as you age? One, you want to, you want to be mobile. You want to be agile. You want to be strong so that, you know, if you're going down the stairs and first of all, you don't fall that you have the mobility, or maybe if you do, you have the strength to grab something and hold on. So you don't fall or you want the muscle in terms of armor to break the fall. So you don't break that hip. And that's that's for us. Is, is a big change. We're focused a lot more on resistance training as we age, and that means also upping our our protein intake to to make sure we maintain yeah. and build lean muscle mass. And it's a protective factor. We are Miami, so you know we, we like we like going to the gym here, uh, but it's really for longevity.
2: <laughs> that can I just say one other point on this? I when I was when I turned fifty, I'm fifty two now. My doctor said you got to go for a bone density test. It was just an X ray, yes. but they took a look at my bones, and I had. Actual osteoporosis, not just osteoporosis, whatever the thing is that pre I had some of that too. But in some places in my body, actual osteoporosis, I had to get a shot once a month for 12 months, insurance covered it. And then you have to take an oral medication for two years thereafter. It's completely reversed it. I no longer have osteoporosis. I would never have known that if I didn't have a great doctor. It's two-tiered medicine. We all know that. But I want the listeners to know get a bone density test. Because yes, if you have yes. one of these issues, it, it is solvable. My endocrinologist said, this is what I love about being an endocrinologist. You can solve everything. And so here I am at 52, much healthier in the bone department than I was at 50, though I'm shorter. Colleen and Jason, thank you so much for writing this book. I want everybody to go out there and buy it. It's called The Joy of Well-Being. Well, well worth your time. All the best to you two. Thank, thank you, you so much. And don't forget to our audience uh, to join us tomorrow because we're going to have our pals from the fifth column. They've got different views about RFKJ, and we'll get into those as well. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.
0: Here's to the paper pushers. The rush hour warriors, uh and the got to get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.